Hey, this is Brian the Gleeman. Normally on Barside Chats, we stay away from politics and other divisive content. But today, a real-world event occurred that I think really closely parallels one of the sequences in the Wheel of Time books. I thought that was worth exploring here today. If that's not your cup of tea, I understand. And please know that this will be a one-time or at least a very rare occurrence. In this case, I think my guest and I will bring a good dose of perspective to the table, both from the books and from the real world. I hope you enjoy. Also, for what it's worth, major spoilers through the end of the series. If you have not finished the series, you might want to skip this one. Hey everyone, welcome to Barside Chats. I'm Brian the Gleeman. And I'm Matt the Innkeeper. And this is a Wheel of Time podcast from the Dusty Wheel. Hey everyone, welcome to Barside Chats. I'm Brian the Gleeman. Matt is out this evening as he's recording another show for the Dusty Wheel. But tonight I have a special guest, Andrew from the Black Tower Podcast. Andrew, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to be here, man. It is great to have you, and I'm, I'm very happy that you're here. Um, so today we're going to talk about something a little different than normal. It's more serious than some of our other topics that we've covered here, but uh, I promise it's related to the Wheel of Time. In the United States today, there was an event at the Capitol. Uh, Congress was convened to count the Electoral College votes for the president and the vice president of the United States. And during this procedural event, there was... Um, I'm not sure what to call it, an, an insurrection, uh, 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 an invasion, uh, I'm not sure, uh, a mob of protesters broke into the Capitol building, GOP Republican protesters protesting the uh, uh, the vote, the election itself, uh, effectively trying to stop everything. Now, I'm not going to go into a ton of details about it right now, but if you somehow didn't know about this, trust me when I say it was a horrible thing to watch um, all day. I didn't get any work done. It was just... It was crazy. So as the situation got under control, though, uh, a thought crossed my mind. Today felt a whole lot like a certain scene in the Wheel of Time, which is the insurrection at the White Tower, the overthrowing of the Omerlin seat, and uh, the resulting situation that put the stole on El- Elida and made her the new Omerlin seat. So I thought we could talk about that tonight. What, what do you think, Andrew? Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. It's it's a really good parallel. That's one of the things I love about the Wheel of Time. The, I think you would be hard-pressed to find things that we deal with and either we see on TV or things that happen, you know, locally or whatever in the real world that you can't find some kind of parallel comparison with the books. And I'm going to choose to keep it as my headcanon that every last one of those, even though he couldn't, he wasn't Nostradamus and couldn't see what was going to happen in the future, that RJ fully intended it. And Brandon. Yeah, and Brandon, of course. I think... This in particular is it's not a, an event that is unheard of. It, you know, it happens in other countries pretty regularly. Throughout history, it's happened pretty regularly. It's just uh, for us, you know, in the United States, it's strange. We don't we're not used to seeing that. So we're used to like the protest and, you know, the unrest and that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, uh, f- for different reasons and everything, it's definitely happened in the past. Um for political reasons and uh, definitely amongst uh, conservative-minded uh, people that kind of go further than just like, you know, your what, what we consider the realm of rationality. But yeah, we see it all around the world in real life. I mean, uh, it's happened in Venezuela. It happened in Sudan. Uh, you can almost name anything that, you know, at least we as Americans would kind of identify as closer to third or second world countries. 
It's probably happened before. It's it's just really strange to see it here. And that that kind of that's kind of what got me thinking about Min when Min was at the White Tower. Um and she was watching this whole insurrection happen in real time in the books. And she was kind of freaking out. She's like, how could this happen here? This is the White Tower, you know, this is the the place where, you know, the I said I rule the world, you know? So how does how could this possibly happen here? This is the place where diplomacy and logic come yes. to reside and prevail. And then suddenly, uh, well, not initially, but after the kind of initial thing, uh, it all falls apart. Exactly. And it's the thing about the White Tower and, and even in the real world, like we think of we generally, like when we're younger and naive, at least, we think of the government as like being full of people that know what they're doing, the adults in the room. Uh, and for men to like see this happen in front of her and even like Gawain and uh, Galad and some of the other folks that were in the tower at the time, like for them to see this happen in front of them, I'm sure it shattered their view of who the Aes Sedai are. And, and for us as readers, as we're reading it, we're like, maybe they're not all as all knowing as we thought they were. Uh, and I, I certainly feel that way. I felt that way for a long time. But today it really brings that home about you know, the government that we have. And so I think that there's really strong parallels there between how the characters view the Aes Sedai and how we view the government. And maybe we thought that it was a good thing before. And now it's like, well, maybe they don't even know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, there is like, we get the the privilege, I guess, or we're fortunate enough to whenever the insurrection happens in the White Tower of the books, it's fairly early on-ish and it's it's a fantasy series you expect things to go awry you may not expect the exact thing but you expect it's going to happen but you know me i'm 27 years old uh was born raised and have only ever lived well except for like 194 days ish i only ever lived in the u.s and uh there was a senator that was addressing uh the senate when they reconvened after everything calmed down and the building was swept and he reminded me that this kind of event has only occurred twice in U.S. history, with the first being uh, with the British during the War of 1812. And it's one of those things that made me stop and think. And I was like, as far as this exact location and what happened, holy crap, he's right. Yeah. So, and I think there's examples where the kind, of, the same kind of like insurrection or uh, I don't, I don't want to say infighting because it seems like it, it brings it down to a lower level than insurrection, but. It's happened in the Wheel of Time before, or in the White Tower before. Right. I can't exactly remember, so don't ask me for examples, because I quickly tried to Google it. And uh, Can my, you give me uh, some Google examples? <laughs> um, yeah, no, the, the, the secret histories that uh, Egwene talks about is uh, is full of, like, failed insurrections yeah. and, and maybe yeah. even some successful ones. The, the Catholic Church in the real world has some of those as well, where there these things happen and they kind of put them down and pretend like they didn't happen. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm going to just claim like fourth and fifth age. It happens, but we don't have the records from that because it's too far past and hasn't happened yet. Of course. At the same time. So thinking about it from men's perspective is men has a superpower, right? Like her superpower is that she can see the future um, and she knows she can't stop it. Like that's one of her, the limitations of her superpower. Mm -hmm. And that resonated with me about this particular conflict because this real world insurrection that we're having, because she could see the White Tower insurrection happening before it happened, but she knew there was nothing she could do about it. And she could tell people all she wanted, but it wouldn't matter. And I'm sitting here, I'm sure you are too, for the last couple of years watching 
the rhetoric get stronger and stronger and hotter and hotter. And it, this was this was kind of predictable. And then, but, you know, we could say, hey, this is going to turn out badly, but there's nothing that you and I can do about it. So yeah. putting myself in men's shoes, like I've never felt more like men uh, from the books than I, ever before than today, you know? Oh, yeah, I'd agree. Um, so, I mean, like I told you before we started recording and everything, I have my bachelor's degree in political science and a lot of that spent a lot of time studying like the history of like how politics has evolved, you know, uh, across different cultures, across the history. And I was very much one of those kind of people. Um, it started off with like, like Mimi style jokes about things like uh, what's it called? Like the boogaloo, um, which is just like some kind of Mimi kind of, you know, Oh, we're going to fight back. Everybody put on your airsoft helmets and vest and get your gut, you know, all that kind of, uh, kind of rhetoric you see pretty frequently uh, in the U.S. at least, but never seems to ever come to fruition. Uh, but uh, I could very much see it like this is going very badly. This country is getting very divided. Things are being very decisive. The rhetoric uh, from at least a section isn't helping at all. Something's going to happen. But I don't think anybody could have predicted that it would happen on Capitol Hill. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it was. this is one of those things that kind of like the white tower kind of like the books this was shocking but not surprising like you said it's a fantasy series things go wrong you expect something to go wrong and especially after men says hey i saw this guy's bloody head um walking you know vision in a vision uh you go okay something's gonna go wrong and in the real world we're watching this whole thing unfold and we're like hey something's gonna go wrong and the actual thing that went wrong was i think very shocking and i think it was shocking to everybody in the white tower it's shocking to everybody in the real world most people i know and on the internet and everywhere have been shocked but very few people were actually surprised uh, which i think is an interesting factoid about this whole in, uh, environment you know it's a depressing factoid about this environment it's depressing that like, you know, you're shocked by where it happened and what it is, but you're also not surprised that something like this happened. And it's, it's kind of one of those things, like, if we're not shocked, then, you know, how do we let it come to this? Because we saw, we saw the divide happening uh, for, let's say, at least the last four years in the U.S. We saw it getting worse and worse and worse. We saw tons of hateful rhetoric from... Uh, tons of people in the political spectrum for the U.S. And it, it, it's, I'm hoping that this was the head, that this was as bad as it gets. I'm, I'm worried about how the following days will go. Because uh, as soon as the news broke, I was sitting there like watching a live stream for it uh, on YouTube. And they were saying, so many people were saying, this is just the beginning, this isn't over. One person made the statement, if you don't hear our voices now, you'll hear our muskets tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm not for Shay's Rebellion 2.0. Like, right. Yeah, right. It's, it's terrifying, honestly. Like when you think about what it could mean for, you know, the government structure and just the overall unity of an entire nation, it doesn't matter where it happens, whether it's in the White Tower, uh, which we, we see what, you know, this kind of thing, uh, at least a, a relatively similar thing does to the White Tower. I mean, this pillar of logic and understanding and diplomacy and just reliability just shatters in half all because one person, which it was funny. It's not quite as funny now 
though it's it's still funny in the way it's done how rob has likened elida to you know uh, likened and elida to trump what are the lessons from the books that you think like we could take away from that with respect to what's happening in the real world so i think one of the one of the biggest and i think for me was the first thing i thought about uh when you when you mentioned this link was what elida does as dirty and underhanded as at least we see it as the readers right and i think that's largely influenced by the kind of leader she is um which that's a very apt comparison but how she does the insurrection according to tower law is actually completely legal right uh, she gets a majority of sitters uh disposes with just cause um you know hiding all these dealings about the dragon reborn and all this going on you know sending I said I out on secret missions that should have actually been brought before the hall. For Elida, whenever her reign started, she actually had a leg to stand on. There was actually mm-hmm. precedent for it. Versus, which uh, again is, you know, like you said, you know, Elida's happened, you know, kind of towards the beginning. This is how her reign over the White Tower starts. Versus now we're seeing, you know, somebody at the end trying to grasp on and, and hold on to power uh, through best I can say is indirect illegal methods. Um, right. You know, uh, ignorance of the law isn't a valid defense in court. You can't say things like we're going to go here and all this other. Um, but uh, Elida is just, she, she does it. If there is a right way and by right, I mean, legal way to do an insurrection, to do a pseudo coup, uh, then Elida does it the right way, but the result of it is uh, is is likened unto what we saw today. Like, imagine if uh, Chainlink actually existed for us, um, or you know, when in the future Chainlink exists for us. You know, let's go with that off of uh, the spokes of the wheel, right? And uh, imagine if this this clash happened, and even ha- even a third or a fourth of the people there could channel. It, it probably would have been an absolute bloodbath, like we see in the White Tower depressing honestly it is depressing and i think you know we one woman did die today she was uh she was shot while she was in capital the capital and she shouldn't have been um it's tragic it's terrible my my heart goes out to her and her family um but this is not a bloodless incident today just like the white tower coup was not a bloodless incident um i think one of the lessons that we would take away from this is that successful or not an insurrection causes damage. It causes horrible, horrible damage. And in the White Tower, it was successful uh, and it split the tower for the first time in forever, if 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 not just the first time, period. Um, it split the tower and half of the Aes Sedai went somewhere else, made a second tower, uh, and then the, the the rest of them stayed. But in the in the real world, in this, this U.S. capital, like somebody died. Somebody died. And then there's now we've got this huge distrust of government. Now we've got this, um, uh, the factions in Congress now are dealing with each other in a more hostile way than maybe they did before. Um, before it was all rhetoric. It was all like, oh, you know, we're just talking. It's just ideas. And now that something's happened, it's not. Now it's very, very real. And you can see that consequence in some of the senators who said that they would vote, uh, they would object, deciding not to object to the certification because they changed their minds. They basically, before it was clearly like a theater, right? It was clearly, I'm just talking, you know, it does, it's not really going to happen. And today this incident happened and and it's now, it now feels very real. It feels very real to me 
uh, where before I was like, oh, well, you know, it could get worse, but who knows, you know, and now I'm just like, oh my God, that happened. So the lesson is that whether or not a coup or whether or not an insurrection is successful, it is still bad. It's still very, very bad. And it causes a lot of damage. And it's just today I'm really bummed out that this woman died, even though even though she was one of the protesters. That's nobody should have to die for this stuff. That's just how I feel about it. And the, the White Tower scene now looking back and thinking back on it feels even more tragic to me that so many people did die. Right. Like Gawain fights his his master, his mentor. Right. And kills him. And that's beyond tragic. That's like. I don't know. Like that just, I, I want to cry right now because of it. Right. You know? Yeah. So I, I guess the, the two thoughts I have is I, I agree. Like an insurrection is, is always damaging. It's always unfortunate. Uh, the, what happens as a result of it, um, maybe what caused it, you know, that kind of stuff. Some of them I think are, are warranted. Uh, like you know, technically the the U.S.'s revolution in 1776. We, we say revolution, but from the British perspective at the time, it was an insurrection. Yes, uh, they were fighting rebels. They weren't fighting you know a foreign country at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still you know uh, in that case you know massive loss of life. There's there's always even if it's not life, there's always a very tangible uh, damage left over from it. And, and you know, and in this case, unfortunately, yeah, there, there was an individual that you know lost her life. Um, regardless of what side of it she was on, regardless of what happened behind it, the, the fact is that in the U.S.'s most hollowed grounds of logic, political and public discourse and democracy, uh, somebody had to be shot, which is, if you can't see that as something that is utterly tragic, then I, I don't know how to explain it better to you. And I forgot the second thought, so. <laughs> A long day. Low brain, low brain power today. Yeah, it has been a long day. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was in the books, Swan and Elida's, they don't really interact after the insurrection, but that's mostly because they are on opposite sides. They are, uh, Swan had been basically banished or exiled. She was supposed to die, but she had to like flee for her life. And Elida is now like kind of trapped in, in the position of power and um, not trapped, but in a position of power where she really can't leave the White Tower because she has to maintain her grip on the the people. I said I there. Um, and I'm thinking about the the challenges that, that they've both faced individually on their own adventures afterward. Uh, and I'm trying to compare that to the adventures, uh, the, the trials and tribulations that our president-elect Biden and President Trump will have to face going forward. You know, uh, like President Biden, for example, his his... He's he has no power right now. Uh, he won't for thirteen or fourteen more days, um, and uh, uh, he's he's gonna have to clean up a lot of this mess. And this is it's kind of the opposite problem that Elida had because she came in and she won and she just kind of did that. Um, but I don't know. I I just kind of trying to tie all that together, and it just seems like a uh, maybe there's not a direct comparison there. Uh, maybe I'm trying to make one exist that doesn't uh, exist. I think you can. Because a lot of Elida, her actions and her attitude after uh, we see, like, we're, are we allowed to be full spoiler? Yes. I, I would imagine. Well, we've already talked about a lot of spoiler stuff, I guess. Yep. You know, um, you know, Elida does a lot of things that are self-gratifying and power-grabbing, uh, like intimidating sitters into voting for her, intimidating sisters into following her, uh, and until the same kind of happens to her. 
you know, building her palace. It's, it's all self-gratification, grabbing power, building monuments to your power. Uh, and so we've already likened that on onto, uh, onto Trump. But I think Suan's ultimate motives, I think you can compare to, to Biden, or at least the struggle he's going to have to face, because Suan is far more concerned with a unified and just tower that does what its goal is supposed to. And uh, we saw that today with, with Biden's address, you know, that this cannot be tolerated, this cannot be allowed. You know, hey, yeah, I don't like you, you're a terrible, you know, person, but you're in this position, you should be doing this kind of stuff. And Suan does a lot of that, like, you know, she's very frequent, like, look, Elida, whether we like it or not, she is the duly elected Amarillan seat at the time, and she has a responsibility to uphold. And I think a lot of Suan's issues with Elida, once she gets over, like, the kind of personal stuff, is that she is tainting the office of the Amarillan seat, that she's not doing her job as the Amarillan seat. I think that's a great comparison because a lot of Biden's message over his uh, election was unification. It was like, I'm I, I'm the one who can reach across the aisle where Trump's rhetoric has been very uh, divisive, right? It's been very, yeah. um, they're, they're bad, we're good, you know, that kind of thing. And there, there are, uh, shall we say, like merits to both approaches. But uh, in, in this case, both of those approaches map very closely to Elida and uh, Suan's, you know, personalities and the way that they handle themselves, the way they carry themselves, the way they handle the office. Uh, I think you're right. When Suan was overthrown and and had to flee for her life, her thoughts were weren't very often for herself. Like most of her self pity had to do with her loss of channeling um, and and sort of the loss of influence that she had. It wasn't necessarily the loss of power. Uh, I, I would say that. She, she regretted her loss of power mainly because it didn't allow her to do what was right, what she felt was right, which was to unify the unify the tower. And if she had kept her powers, maybe she could have gone to Saladar and convinced everybody that she was still Amarlin. But when she wasn't, then she immediately kind of said, well, that's not going to happen. I'm going to go make sure that the next Amarlin is you know, doing the right thing. In, in that sense, I can see that Elida's, the way she carried herself and the way that she comported the office herself in the office was pretty trump-like and the way that swan did it is pretty biden-like um so i can that. see that i can see that yeah i mean because like suan when she shows up in saladar she she already can't channel and you know part of part of how she finds purpose you know to resist that whole i can't channel uh so you know i'm, I'm doomed to to perish she focuses on okay, well, how can I help the next Amarlin be as successful as possible? You know, it's it's that kind of quintessential selfless sacrifice. Like, I'm going to forego my own concerns and my own, you know, woes and do what I can with what I have left to help somebody be successful for the greater good. Are there any other ways that Swan and Elida kind of the way that they handle things, or maybe the people around them, how they handle things that kind of map to what happened today or what might happen in the next couple of days? Oh, man. It's really hard to say because you want somebody with Gawain's determination to defend the institution that he believes, you know, is, I don't want to say right, because uh, I don't I don't really think, as much grief as I give Gawain and as much as I, for whatever reason, said to me like Gawain's the worst character in Wheel of Time or whatever. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, just like Galad is, he's all about doing what he feels is right. And I think 
in his own way, he picks up that the White Tower as a beacon of hope for the world is more important than any kind of infighting or any kind of squabbling or political strife or whatever. So all I can hope for is that we we have somebody, we have our own uh, determined version of Gawain that's that's fighting for the right side. Do we have um, our own younglings, the squad? Yeah. And I mean, I think we kind of get, you know, maybe not as an individual, but an example uh, in Congress. Uh, there's there's plenty of times over my life that I've been incredibly critical of, of Congress. I think there's, you know, serious problems in Congress. And I think a lot of people agree that there are at least some problems. But to be a, as far as I know, largely civilian uh, populace that doesn't have like combat training, they get like the normal active shooter training and drills. And to at some point even consider the idea of going back in and resuming uh, the electoral confirmation, even if the building hasn't been fully swept yet. So they're willing to risk IEDs and, and anybody hiding in corners to go back in and do their job. And I, th I think that's super commendable. So to me, that's very like Gawain and Gallad-esque to, you know, duty before self kind of ideals. Let's just hope they don't find blood rings. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, if they have blood rings, we're screwed. I think that's a great insight there. I, I'm also pretty critical of Congress, but to to put it in that light, you know, they're being pretty brave and pretty pretty good today. All of them, even even the um, uh, the Republicans on that are you know objecting to the electoral process in, uh, in anyway, um, they're all going back in there into what's more or less the face of danger. I don't know if they're actually are they actually in the um, the Capitol building still, they went to an undisclosed location to finish it. Uh, no, they, they finished. I don't know how much of it they finished. I haven't been able to see that much. Um, but they were they were straight back into yeah. the Capitol building as soon as it was swept and everything, as far as I know. They were back in. Uh, Pelosi, she delivered an address, you know, from the, I guess, speaker seat. There we go. Because she's speaker. No, yep. she's not speaker of the house. Speaker of the house. Yeah, I'm she's really bad house. with remembering the stuff, like, which I shouldn't be. You shouldn't be. You have a degree in this stuff. Uh, Pelosi's uh, the speaker of the house, yeah. Yeah. Um, but she delivered an address from there. Several senators did as well, uh, representatives as well. Um, I watched two or three of them. I mean, they were all pretty good, which is what I expect to see after this, you know, in the same way. Uh, the U.S. really came together after the events of 9-11. You really got to see Congress as a whole coming together during and after the crisis to sit there and be like, we're not going to let this, you know, define us. We're not going to let this stop us, which is really reassuring for at least a bravery caliber of, mm -hmm. of, the, of our duly elected officials. So... Today has been extremely trying for everybody involved, uh, even, even those of us at home, like... It's been stressful. I didn't get any work done today. And I know like several people had to just shut off their computers and walk away. Which is a good move. When you're overloaded, just step away. Yeah. Do what you got to do. Mental health preservation and personal preservation is, is incredibly important. Don't be Absolutely. afraid to take a break. Absolutely. 100% agree. You just go listen to a podcast that's not about this. <laughs> go listen yeah. to a Black Tower podcast or uh, to Barside Chats yeah. um, about, you know, if fun, you finish the topics. books. Yes, if you finish the books. To wrap things up a little bit, just wanted to kind of say, I think that the the parallels between the books, uh, the White Tower insurrection, Gowan and Gallad's fighting for the tower or for um, what's right, Swan and Elida's, the way they handled themselves. I think all of that 
kind of like it's it's really eerie to think about it in the context of what happened today in the U.S. Capitol. I don't know. Next time I read it, I think it's it's going to be hard to read. I think I'm going to I think I'm going to have like flashbacks to today about, you know, uh, when when they're talking about having uh, soldiers running through the tower. I'm, I'm probably going to start thinking about, you know, soldiers running through the White House. I mean, you've got a White House and a White Tower more parallels there. So it's, it's hard to believe yeah. that Robert Jordan didn't foresee something like this happening. I mean, for all we know, he, he might have, but yeah, it's, it's going to hit home a lot more when, when you're watching this and you're watching people scramble and run around. And it's, I think it's going to be hard for people that remember this or it happens to pop in their mind while they're reading uh, the, the whole white tower insurrection to not think back of images of, you know, the Capitol police being, you know, assaulted and pushed back and then pushing back out along with a, uh, Metropolitan Police, you know, the FBI, uh, the National Guard from Maryland and Virginia, and, and all the other first responders that showed up because uh, there, was, there was a lot of counties and a lot of states that sent state troopers and county officials uh, to support this. So it's, uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's going to just hit home a lot harder, at least for American readers, mm-hmm. depending on how much uh, people in other countries are, you know, affected or interpret this. Yeah, I think one of the best takeaways from it is, in the end, at least from our perspective as the readers, and I think even the overall perspective, justice prevailed in the White Tower. It was unified. Things got a lot better, and they were ready to face the challenges to come. And I, I fully believe that the same thing is going to happen with us here in the real world, that you know, justice is going to prevail, um, that cooler heads will prevail, that uh, we're just going to come out of this Wherever the end is, hopefully this was the end. Hopefully it doesn't get any worse, that we're going to come out of it better and stronger. Because if nothing else, this is no less than a wake-up call for anybody that thinks that the state of affairs in the U.S. is fine. It's quite obviously not. To that point, the books, things don't get better fast. It takes like eight more books for things to get better. And that's a long, long time. And so even though I agree with you, I think that justice will prevail, cooler heads will prevail. We still have a long road ahead of us. And people that we thought were adults in the room at the White Tower and, and Saladar turned out to be squabbling desperate housewives of, you know, Saladar. If, if they if they could, you know, make things work, then then we can make things work in the real world. So um, I, kissed wool heads. Yeah. <laughs> and it does it does give me some hope. Do you have any, any final thoughts uh, that you'd like to share before we, we wrap up? We, we've talked about this several times on, on the Black Tower podcast that it seems at least uh, to us in majority that the majority theme from the Wheel of Time books, if you were to take a theme from the overall, is that we can't do anything. We can't overcome any challenges if, if we divide and if we stay by ourselves. That real change, real progress, real justice and real success comes from unifying and working together. So, uh, and we see that here with the, with the White Tower example that, you know, when they reunify and they kind of squash out everything and they're like, we had some serious problems, let's fix it. The things are just so much better. You know, we see a White Tower that not as equipped as we'd like, but, you know, can, you know, you know, mostly handle their own for the last battle and that kind of stuff. I just hope that uh, whether it's just with the time you uh, listeners or anybody from any other walk of life that hear this, I hope they take away an overarching message of unity and uh, together we'll get through this. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's just leave it there. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. I know it was late on uh, January 6th. We've been already hectic day, but I appreciate you joining me to talk about this. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening to Barside Chats. If you are a fan of the show, please leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next time at the Barside. Go do it. Five stars. Barside Chats is a Dusty Wheel production, jointly hosted by Brian the Gleeman and Matt the Innkeeper. If you would like to support this podcast, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, or you may email us at podcast at thedustywheel.com.